My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk to Databank, and the episode is almost exclusively about running a multi-table D&D guild or West Marches type game, if you're familiar with the term, so I hope you enjoy the episode. Before we jump into the episode, I just want to thank all of my listeners and give you a few ways that you can help support the podcast. The first way is just by listening to the episode, so congratulations, you're already helping me out. You can also interact with the podcast in any way, like, share, all of the usual things that also greatly helps me out, and it's super easy to do. The next way you can help is by interacting with the community, hanging out in the Discord server, playing or running games on the server, or joining in our design contests that we run. The third way you can help is by being interviewed or letting somebody else know that they should get on the show. All you got to do is contact me via Discord or Twitter or wherever, and we'll get some time scheduled to get you in on an episode. If you're still looking for ways to support the show, you can always use one of the affiliate links in the show notes for any of the RPGs or books that are mentioned. They link to either Amazon or DriveThruRPG, and if you make a sale for anything on one of those sites after using a link, then I get a small percentage of the sales. That's a great way to support the show while also getting something for yourself. And finally, the last way is you can support me on Patreon or buy me a coffee. I will have links in the show notes on where to go for that. And that's just a simple monthly donation to help fund future design competitions and equipment purchases and stuff like that. Thank you again to all of my listeners. I feel like we've been growing a really awesome community here around tabletop role-playing games. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome, everybody. Today I have Databank with me. Welcome. Uh, Hello. Why don't you give us a little rundown of how you got started in tabletop role-playing games? So my dad was into D&D from the time that they started releasing pamphlets for D&D. So he was he was in on the ground floor uh, and he played all the way through second edition before life basically got in the way to continue. But uh, he he DM'd a session for me and my and my family and I was kind of okay with it. I got to college, uh, got dragged to D&D by some of my friends and, you know, it was sort of okay and by the end of it um we had played fifth edition to around level 17 and kind of ended it there uh and at at that point i just said this is not for me because i was just you know i wasn't maybe i wasn't grasping the mechanics or even if i was i wasn't really getting into the game but uh i still had some ideas and i still said hey i'd like to dm so that summer uh it was covid that summer uh the first bout of it so we went entirely online and i dm'd an entire campaign from about level one to level 14 over the summer leveling up pretty much every week uh and i did my best to dm and i loved it i wasn't any good at it but it was a great teaching experience and <laughs> how i got into um D in the first place so I, I am I am one of the instead of being stuck as a perma DM, I am somebody who craves perma DM. I'm playing a I play I'm playing some characters that I wanted to get out of the way, like I played the least generic fighter human, um, and I played an illusionist wizard, and now I'm just itching to get back into the driver's seat. <laughs> even even now, I'm just like, please please let me get back. All right. Well, that's a that's kind of a nice problem to have almost. Um, what about DMing is it that kind of draws you towards that versus uh, being a player? Uh, I think it's the storytelling and the fact that people can interact with it. You know, if I play one uh, character, I have to get into that mindset. I have to think about that. But if I'm DMing, I can play, you know, multiple characters. I can tell interesting stories. I don't, you know, I don't actually have uh, 50-50 here, but I don't actually have to Permanent rely, permanently rely on back and forth between other players because I am setting the scene, so I know that you know people will be interested in what I have to say. Ironically enough, um, I don't know if that's why, but it's just it's just something that's drawn me in much more than playing. 
uh, a character. What was it like transitioning from being a player to being a DM? Uh, transitioning from being a player to a DM? Yes. Uh, ironically enough, I'd call that a lot easier because, you know, it would come to my turn. I'd kind of figure out, you know, oh, can I get, uh, you know, maybe I can get advantage here so I can use my sneak attack and maybe I can hide or, you know, trying to frustrate that out. Um, but there was so much whenever I got into DMing that it actually kind of, that's where I thrived because, you know, I had to be like, here's what my players can take. Here's what they can do. Here's how, you know, we grow, you know, all, I, I just was very analytically just drawn to everything DMing. I don't think I had a trouble picking it up. If I had a trouble picking up DMing, it would be that I tried to tell stories instead of making a world that my players could tell stories in. Sure. So that's about it. I mean, calculating challenge rating is a bit hard, but if you find a calculator, you'll, you should be fine. Yeah, coming up with, you know, what kind of monsters and, and how difficult encounters can be is a, a challenge in itself, but also sometimes you can just kind of throw whatever at them and uh, you see, they can figure it out, right? <laughs> uh, I've, uh, yeah, that was one of the things that brought down the campaign. I threw a CR20 creature at them whenever I should not have. Um, <laughs> but in general, actually, I really do like that little, you know, placing of monsters thinking you know oh this one jumps out from behind a rock and it's going to you know take a crossbow fire and they're like oh my gosh there's a goblin behind a rock that i didn't see before um and like having interesting terrain having interesting setup i actually thrive on monster placement in that sense uh so do you use like battle maps and stuff like that when you play so we use battle maps uh whenever i got started i was on roll 20 completely online and uh, I would not recommend completely online to anyone uh, because the first problem is you have a there's a there's an ongoing feeling that you have to draw everything you know that you have to always have a good background that you always have to have a you know this is a city so it has to look like one this is a tavern so it has to look like one um, <clears throat> there's a running joke that all of the taverns in the entire country are out of the same Ikea box because <laughs> I just use the same tavern graphic whenever we go to the tavern. Um, and I, I think that actually hurts it because whenever you're in person, you're not going to take time to draw out every little, you know, you're in a tavern, here's a tavern, you're in a king's, king's forum, here's a king's forum. You're not going to draw that out. Uh, you're just going to draw out the battle maps and what is, you know, pertinent. Um but even aside from that. Yeah, I, I guess I find myself too, both as a DM and a player, when we are playing online, which for me is most of the time just based on the, the players I have are all located in the same area. So um, when we're online, I do feel like you almost kind of need something to look at because otherwise you're just kind of, you know, staring blankly at a screen versus if you have, if you're at a table, you've got, you know, your dice sitting around and, you know, you look at the other players and stuff. If you're not using cameras or anything online, there's there's just not a lot to look at. Um, so graphics can be good for that. But also, like you said, um, sometimes you feel like you need to have that. And I, I completely agree as a DM. I always am like, I need to have a map for this location. And I need to have, you know, maps for every other location that they could possibly go to. And I need to have graphics of some kind or for monsters and stuff just... You don't necessarily need all of that stuff, but when you're online, it can definitely feel like you do need that. Uh, whenever I'm at, uh, you know, whenever I play, I play with the gaming guild, and whenever I um, play with them, we, we don't actually really have any uh, huge gargantuan minis, and the large ones that we do, we have some sort of tentacle monsters, and then like four different versions of an ogre. So, you know, you might be like, you see a large hellhound jump out and you put down the mini of an ogre because that's all that you have. Um, but it's very strange how on a table that works a lot better versus, you know, online where, you know, if you aren't finding in a hellhound, it doesn't feel right because it's so easy to scale it up to be large. Right. Uh, you, me you mentioned a gaming guild. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, uh, this is whenever I got to college, uh, I got dragged to a gaming guild, and uh, we use a a bit of a wonky level-up system uh, from level 1 through 4, because basically we host D&D &D every Saturday. 
even if people don't show up, you still get leveled up at the right time, and you can just, you know, show up next week. You know, we aren't too concerned about... Uh, we aren't too concerned about uh, lore or campaigns or ongoing things. You know, if you show up more often, then certainly we'll, like, probably create a story around you. But if you, you know, if you're only able to show up and play occasionally on the weekends, that's fine. We'll just go around it. So from level one through four, you level up every week. And then level five through level 16, you level up every other week. Um, and it's through that... Uh, that we run, it's through that mantra that we ran our camp, uh, run our D and D sessions. And for a while there, I ran a campaign that way, but that's not a good way to run a campaign. And do you ever, uh, when you're running these like ongoing campaigns, how like what's the time frame on it? Because I assume at some point you would then want to like reset people back down to like level one, uh, five through ten, uh, five o'clock to ten o'clock every Saturday, and uh, so. We host at 5 o'clock to 10 o'clock every Saturday, and we go from the beginning of the first semester to the end of the second. And uh, around level 10, the first semester ends, and that allows us to get from level 11 to roughly level 17, 18, 19 by the end of the semester. And then the next year, everything just resets back to... Resets back to zero, find a new character. We we have have ways. uh, My character didn't die, but he did retire, so... You know, we have a respecking process that allows you to play a new character if yours died and you don't feel like he should come back. But uh, challenge rating is so difficult to calculate, especially at uh, roughly anything below about seven. It's really difficult to calculate uh, challenge rating. So you can have dungeon masters accidentally just completely obliterate a party. So we have a system that all everyone who's died gets revived at the end of the session. You know, unless the DM disagrees and said, no, they did something majorly dumb, they should stay dead. Um, but otherwise, yeah, we try and keep people alive and just uh, mostly we, we encourage it. But sooner or later, you'll probably settle down. But we encourage movement between the tables. Yeah. So you said that it's a multi table. So you have multiple DMs that are running as well. Yep. Uh, we have at the moment it's kind of quieted down to three different tables, but I've saw I've seen as many as five. I think we ran once. Um, I've seen as many as five different tables going at once, and it's you know again you can move between the tables. You can find a DM that you work really well with. Um, I actually fun fact uh, one of the current DMs is under the same you know same issue that i uh i am where he he actually plays 3.5 but uh at, whenever it comes to dming he prefers to dm fifth edition he showed up a couple times as a player and said please let me dm because he uh is much more interested in that end than uh playing and when you have these uh multiple tables going is it like each table is kind of like doing their own adventure or is everybody contributing to kind of the same story or what does that look like so uh so i would tell you all about it but um then coronavirus hit and shut everything down and the transfer of information from one generation to the next didn't happen so i'm i'm taking over i'm carrying it on but the old guard never brought me in so the way that we're running it is every five levels, there is a massive uh, intertable session where it's something like defend an island, infiltrate a pirate capital. Uh, we did defend a city from plant monsters uh, or, oh, geez, what was that one? <sighs> defend a city from plant monsters and festival. And right now I'm actually planning the raise hell mystery mission r-a-z-e hell because we're all level 16 they can uh <laughs> go through and wipe out some arch devils and so that's a that'll be like a collaborative session where all the tables are kind of working together maybe like for the siege or for the um like infiltration or something they probably have like different objectives that they have to deal with exactly that uh i've i've tried to run a three table session before don't do it you'll you'll die in the process but uh 
don't run a three table session, uh, what what we do is we give yes, we give objectives. It's normally a buffet thing, you know. Hey, we have this things of obje- objectives, and uh, feel free to go there and check them out. And sometimes, uh, if you succeed on something, it'll make other tasks easier for other tables, or someone may pick up a key that they then, you know, transfer with a note to other tables, um, which was very fun whenever they did that. Um, <clears throat> and that's mostly how we do world events, which, again, I'm currently working on one to wrap up the year with a huge blowout event. <laughs> um, but it's very, it's very fun. It's very different, especially because uh, I sometimes. I, I whenever I'm there, I normally DM literally, so I go from table to table to make sure everything is, you know, not contradicting each uh, themselves. No two people are running the same session at the same time, you know, things like that. It really sounds like a lot of fun, and also a lot of uh, planning and coordination to pull off a big session like that, where you have multiple DMs and multiple tables playing kind of through the same scenario. Yeah. Um... It's, you know, we prefer, we prefer doing larger events, you know, if you, uh, but it's also just a, you know, way to play, we notify people. Uh, I prefer making uh, larger sessions, and it's something that started before me and something I'm carrying on with it. Uh, it really makes sense whenever you have three tables, you know, there, that you should bring them together to do the same, you know, hope, fight situation. Uh, so when you're not doing those big you know, multi, multi-table sessions, and you just have, like, a regular week. Um, are they then still kind of doing things that are related to each other, or do the DMs that are running each table kind of have um, control over what adventure that table sees that week? Uh, based on the notes I found, they're supposed to be doing similar things, but uh, during 2020 to 2021, I was the only DM. I was running about an eight-player table, which I don't really like to do. That's a bit too big for me. Um, and I was the only DM in the room. And uh, I could basically do whatever I want because, you know, we were very small because most people were staying at home at the time. But uh, I think next year we're going to try to, you know, integrate more plots together, do a bit more interweaving. But beyond that, uh, no, pretty much the DMs have full reign over it. I give them a general, like, uh, up to this point, it's just been taking a section of the Eberron map and giving it to them. But I take a section of that and say, pretend that is the entire world that the setting takes place in and go nuts. And it normally has like some swamps, some mountains, some oceans, so they can kind of play around with it. So you, you give them a little bit of freedom, but mm-hmm. you also kind of keep them localized to an area too, so that things are making sense relative yeah. to some of the other t- uh, tables. It also, the, the main thing that it helps with is guild payouts. We have an entire um, system for people gaining, you know, whenever you mark down that you've come, uh, you gain, you know, a certain amount of gold. We have treasure points for redeeming higher value, like really powerful magic items. So um, we limit them via tier, and then we limit them by a special currency you can't always buy. Um, so that's how we keep... Uh, most of the game balanced, ironically enough. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, actually, and kind of what freedom the DMs have to, like, give stuff out. Uh, So you have a... So for higher-level magic items and stuff, you have, like, a currency that they gain from coming and playing. Um, Do the DMs have also kind of, like, a guideline of, like, this is how much gold they should get per per session, or this is... uh, you know, stuff like that, these are things that they should find, or is it all handled through some type of like a currency system? It, it we have gold we have gold payouts that when at the end of the session you'll normally click down that you've been there. And basically we have a bank account that credits it to you uh for both the currency and the amount because um we don't need DMs, you know, it takes away from planning the rest of the session if we ha- constantly have DMs rolling on like a treasure table or, you know, trying to get currencies that work with other tables. So we have a flat payout system that sure. works a lot better. Um, as for things that like uh, DMs can introduce, the one rule that we've kind of stuck with is, you know, if you want to do a creative thing, like uh, uh, you've probably read on the internet where someone's like, I have a ring of shrinking and growing, and I shrunk down a bunch of cannonballs, and then I shot them out of a gun, and the ring 
grows them to gigantic. Um, if you want to do creative things like that, where it's it's up to the DM, but the acknowledgement is that not all of the DMs will run their table that way. Uh, one thing people will sometimes use action surge to you know try and get off two spells in a turn. And my rule, my table rule is, you can use it to get off two spells in a turn, but don't have them be like, don't go from finger to death to disintegrate. Go from finger of death to scorching ray or something along those lines. Do a do a lower level spell, please. Sure, keep things a little bit more manageable, anyways. <laughs> I haven't. I it's probably fifth level or lower, but I might lower that because they'll probably figure out something to make me angry. <laughs> <laughs> Players yeah, oh. can be pretty crafty. So, actually, I've been playing as a player recently. Oh boy, the craftiness that I can get up to. My first, my first uh, character was specifically like the anti min max. Like, I took a human. I didn't even take a feat at level uh, zero. I, uh, you know, I, I had very little. I just kind of leveled him up. Um, but then I got to respec into a wizard. At which point, I'm pulling obscure. Uh, obscure things. I'm writing my own spells. I'm, you know, I'm causing all of these problems for him, <laughs> and it was a lot. Of, it's a lot of fun, in my opinion. Yeah, I I wish that there was a little bit more uh, emphasis or rulings on like creating items or gear or spells and stuff like that. Because uh, as a player, I think that's one of the really neat things. I guess, and as a DM, I think that's one of the neat things that playing in a role playing game gives you is the ability to come up with stuff that's not in the rules right like if you play video game you have exactly what's been programmed and not really anything else so in a tabletop game where you can just agree to write a new spell with the dm and then work towards creating it you know i think that's really cool um and it's a bummer when there's not a lot of rules around doing something like that and it can be very uh, dm specific as to, you know, what's allowed for obvious reasons, right? Because coming up with new spells and stuff, if you're a new DM and you don't want to deal with it, then, you know, that's great because that is a lot extra to deal with. It would just be nice if there were some rules that could take some of that burden off of the DM. There are. Uh, and they're all hidden in the DMG. Uh, the second half of the DMG, I've I've memorized a lot of the DMG because, for example, mob attacks. If you have 15 creatures attacking one person... There's actually rules in the book about how those creatures hit, um, how to basically ignore rolls and just presume uh, successful hits. Um, in the book, there's parts... Can you still hear me? I just got a... Yes. Hello? Okay. Yep, um, there are actually rules in the book about how to, how to get around that. There's rules in the back of the book about creating spells or using a spell point system instead. Uh, there's an entirety back there. If I had one, I'd pick it up and flip through it and name the pages. But yeah, I recommend that because it's it actually lists off uh, the damage that you should do, relatively speaking, for um, one creature versus multiple creatures. It's a huge help. I've been using it uh, pretty recently as I, of course, create my spells. Um, but that is... There, there is there is elements to that, but I agree wholeheartedly that people should be creating more. Um, my... The one that I made was a juggling knife thrower. That was my character. And so not only did I have to spend a lot of gold on each individual, if I got a plus one weapon, I couldn't get plus one ammunition for knives. Uh, so I would have to buy a plus one dagger separately from a plus two dagger separately from a plus three dagger. Um, so during which, thankfully, our DM gave us downtime, which is something I talked to uh dms about hey give your players downtime if they you know, if they don't want to always go out and hit stuff maybe they'll want to make something during downtime um and during that downtime i made oh geez i made a lot of things but one of them one of the individual magic items was a set of knives that would bounce back to me whenever i snap my fingers because after you throw a knife it's gone it's you know, 20 feet, and you're not exactly going to be able to put pick it back up. And with a couple levels in Bard, you're already using your bonus action to inspire other people. Yeah, I like that, especially for a throwing build, because throwing, just based on the rules, always gets a little bit weird uh, and 
and difficult, even though it's like kind of a less optimal way to play already. Uh, I mean, I I took a couple expertise things, and I, I would dare my DM to make me roll because I had like something ridiculous in performance and sleight of hand for juggling. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but those came naturally, and I really enjoyed it. I would, uh, and especially at my higher levels, I straight on had a wheel that I would run on top of just to because i couldn't because unicycles aren't real yet so i would run on top of a wheel juggling knives and throwing them uh and i was a completely ridiculous character but i loved it uh because it was a lot of fun i even took eldritch adept which is a, i'm not gonna i don't need to get into my character because this is a whole sidebar but the point is is that you can create a very very unique characters through processes and if you run into troubles like for me i was finding that you know i'm not able to overcome magic resistance everybody was able to overcome magic resistance and i was stuck here pinging it with knives that is probably just ignoring uh despite my plus two to damage so i had to you know take time out overcome that um ask my dm very nicely hey can i enchant these things um and i i really enjoyed that well, it's awesome that your DM allowed you to do that too, because that that build sounds uh, just really unique and fun to play. Oh yeah, try it sometime. It'll it'll annoy. Because <laughs> uh, I think I think the reason I annoyed him is because at lower levels I would use my bonus action because I didn't really have a bonus action at the time because I still had, didn't hit level three, and I uh, it's level I get up to level eleven in fighter and four levels in bard. Um, is kind of where I stopped, because that is a very nice amount. I like that. But um, since I didn't really have a bonus action, I would just use my bonus action to pull more knives out and juggle even more knives. <laughs> uh, and and because I could action search, I could do so much on my turn, and every single time my DM looked at me, he, he would let out a long sigh, and I would rub my hands in glee. <laughs> uh, anyway... I'd... I just like the imagery of of a bard that's like juggling knives and then just just whipping them at people. <laughs> oh um, yeah, that was my character. Oh, and he also wore the Chester, the cliche Chester getup, nice. which is why I couldn't wear actual armor underneath that. So I had to get mage armor, which is a whole other debacle in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I, I want to actually roll back a little bit to your D and D guild that you were talking about. Um, mm-hmm. you mentioned that you have like a currency system for uh the the players and and how they are purchasing things. Um, do you have is, is there like a certain like piece of software or a tool or something that you're using to keep track of all of that? Uh, who's here and that's it. It's just Google Sheets. Uh, just uh, because you can do a lot of things in that. Uh. And actually, very recently, we've talked about adding some things in, taking out others. Um, when I do, there's a, we have a DMs council, as we call it. Uh, me and the other DMs council, just we just sit there staring <laughs> at the page. Because you, you know how uh, awfully complicated that Excel spreadsheets can get if you're using the plus row 2, plus thing 5RC6, oh, yeah. you know? And anytime you so much as add a row, you look to make sure nothing is died. Um, it's it's one of those situations where, uh, yes, we do have a uh, we do have a an Excel spreadsheet uh, about that. Uh, it's the NDSU Gaming Guild. Uh, you can probably find us online, and you can go check it out uh, and make a copy for yourself. Because if I knew how it worked, I would tell you, but I don't, so we'll just assume black magic. <laughs> <laughs> but basic, uh, the basic gist of it is they mark down whatever they show up. If they show up for a session, uh, we usually go two sessions per level, about five and onward. So, you know, 5.5, 6, 6.5 because they missed a week, whatever. Sure. You just mark that down, and then on the right-hand side, there will be total gold and total treasure points. And treasure points are uh our currency to buy stuff so and then you can mark down how much gold you've spent and how many treasure points you've spent okay so then do they just have access to that sheet and they can go in and update like after they've purchased something and they fill out their attendance and everything 
yeah, uh, we prefer them to, you know, write it down. Like, you can you can look at that sheet at any time, but you can't edit it at any time. Uh, but it's it's very it's a very nice sheet. Uh, I think that I think the people who made this were very inspired by Adventurers League, which I unfortunately don't know enough about yet, but I'm looking into in general. Uh, but it's the system of you know creating a character, passing them around. Uh, there's a section in Xanathar's called Shared Campaign Rules, which is what we use whenever we're uh, DMing and such. Uh, yeah, that's how that's how that sheet works. We have an item list. We have rules for the item list. We have a bunch of other stuff that I cannot recall, but we we're slowly adding a bunch of items that you can. Yeah, do. Excel sheets tend to grow uh, over time. Um, but also, like you said, they're also very powerful in what you can do with them, uh, depending on how you get them set up. So it doesn't sound like it's super complicated. Um, it's just a matter of getting all of that information set up in the sheet and in a way that can be entered. So um, no, it's not. It's it's probably not complicated at all. the The reason it's uh, more complicated than anything else is because. Whenever you really decide to inspect a cell, you're looking at 18 levels worth of information. Right, because it's pulling data from just all over the place, I'm sure. Yeah. Cool. Uh, it sounds, the, the guild sounds a lot like a West Marches game, if you're familiar. West Marches. I am not familiar with West Marches. Um, so the West March, it's shared campaign uh, world, and then... Uh, Everybody basically like plays from like a central like town or adventuring guild or something, um, and then the, kind of the idea is that every time that your you know a party goes out and does something in the world, they always come back at the end of the session. So everybody kind of ends in town, uh, and then the idea is um, that players can get together and be like, "Hey, do you get you three guys want to you know do a session next week?" We'll see if the you know there's a DM available at that time, and then it's kind of like self. It's supposed to be self-organizing, um, where the players like figure out what they want to do and then try to work out a time slot with the DM, which is a little bit different because you guys just have like a weekly uh, schedule. Yeah, but then the the idea of everybody is like playing in the same world, but not necessarily together, and people can kind of come and go as it works with their schedules. Um, it sounds very similar to what you guys are doing. It, yours just seems like it's maybe a little bit more structured than a West Marches game would be. Yeah, our our uh, I think our, somewhere our motto is uh, life is life is complicated and you will miss sessions. You know, and and the world is big and there are many one shots to be had. So we kind of just send our players out to go, you know, look through the world, go have fun. Uh, it's been very actually interesting this year because I've stepped in for one of my DMs twice now and actually had to work from somebody else's notes, which is a very unique scenario that I haven't done before. Um, when you have these different tables that are playing together, do uh, do the players kind of intermingle and like one one week they're with like a couple of people in one DM and then the next week they're with a different group and a different DM or do they kind of fall into kind of their own groups where they kind of have like dedicated DMs and, and party members? They tend to do a bit of both, especially towards the beginning, whenever you're trying to, you know, find any sort of DM, you know, you'll just, you'll just float from table to table to table. Um, our system actually works. Uh, we reward people who don't want to be DMs. You know, if you aren't used to DMing or you don't want to try it out, or even if, you know, you aren't always a fan of DMing, we actually have incentives giving them more treasure points uh, if they DM. So we have some incentives built in there. So it's you know really encouraged that DMs will be switching out all the time and players will be walking around all the time. <clears throat> uh, but towards a certain end, you'll probably find a DM that you like. Um, and hopefully the DM likes you too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, you know, you'll be like, hey, my backstory is that I'm on the run from a, uh, I'm on the run for insulting the king's wife. Uh, could we integrate that into the ongoing story? And over time, you know, everybody's, you know, facts of life slow slowly get integrated in there. Um, and so you sort of 
coagulate into one table rather than, you know, wandering out. Uh, and, you know, I, I know that my table, or at least the tables I've run and the table that I'm at, tend to go towards a focus story. But I know that the other two uh, tables are either completely random, you know, completely other else stuff uh, at that table, or, uh, you know, only connected through a couple characters, you know? Like, you've met Zeriel before, and this next week we're dealing with Zeriel, but not in a direct way. Um, but I know that ours is becoming a lot more A to B to C sort of situation, rather than a uh, rather than a anything that can happen. But that doesn't mean that there aren't anything that can happen. Uh, that the that doesn't mean that there aren't anything can happen tables. And I know that even as recent as level fifteen, uh, there was still one person who was floating from table to table to table. Uh, just you know, wandering around, taking a look at all the DMs, having fun. So it, sound, it sounds like, and, and it makes sense to me, especially when you have new people that are joining for the first time. The maybe like the first semester almost is kind of people kind of float and kind of figure out where their characters fit in and who they like running their games, and then maybe the second semester they're maybe a little bit more buttoned down as to who they like to play with and and what tables they like to sit at almost. Exactly. And, and like I've said, I've never, I've never dissed that. And uh, I'm, <laughs> like I said, I've, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very enjoying the DM seat. And right now, I just, <laughs> I, I've been a player. It's been a good time. It's been a good run. I'm still going to mess with my DM this Saturday, <laughs> because I'm a level something odd <laughs> wizard. But, uh, I am I am ready to get back in the driver's seat. I am ready to grab my own table. I'm ready to keep my own table and run that into the sky. So, wizards always causing problems. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's why I chose it. <laughs> I, I I've always wanted to play an illusioner since I was a little kid. And whenever my dad ran a campaign with me, I mean it was second edition level one wizard. Uh, so you know one spell. And you can cast it once a day, and after that, you have to use darts. <laughs> and as an illusioner, my spell was Fog Cloud. They called me Foggy. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of magic, though. No, no, it was <laughs> a. It was, <laughs> That was that was not it. But now now I'm now I'm you know I'm old enough to drive and buy my own food, so I can play my own you know illusionist wizard as high a level as I'd like. Um, but once I have that out of my system, I'm going to crawl back to DMing because that's where I really like it. Um, and you mentioned one shots. I assume that each, most of these sessions that you play week to week are pretty contained, almost like one shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, and I've set up, set out myself some, you know, we've heard of problems at X place, go to X place and, you know, save the people or stop the bad guys normally. Um, like I said, I tend to devolve into more flowing campaigns, you know, go to this place, come back, go over to that place. You know, I have a world map drawn up probably by the end. Um, but, uh, Yes, complete one-shots, complete, you know, ability to do whatever, and it'll be wrapped up by the end, even if you don't see that place again. And sometimes, uh, especially at higher levels, I don't, you know, always have it good for one session. Uh, whenever I started, huh, whenever I started DMing during the COVID year that I don't like to talk about, I tried to run a campaign as a series of one-shots, uh, but did so very poorly, and since they were all set in the same world... Uh, uh, every all of the players were like, "Well, can I do things based on my previous knowledge, or you know, I want to stop what I've what I'm seeing a pattern of behavior here, basically." Um, and you know, I think that it's very, it's still very hard for me, at least, to run one shots. I prefer campaign style, but yes, everybody runs uh, one shots at the tables. Um, and what does prep look like for one of these sessions? Uh. Prep looks different for everyone. I can tell you prep for my style of prep. I can tell you prep for world events. But prep prep is, you know, for everybody, you know. You know, don't pass them out. Artifact is basically the one rule that we have and not much else. Sure, um, so they really have free reign as to what's 
going on besides just handing stuff out to the players, basically? <laughs> uh, yeah, they pretty much do. I mean, the only time I found myself guiding a DM as to what to do is whenever they were new. You know, whenever they were new to DMing, I would tell them, well, you'll want to do like a combat and a bit of role play in there and try and balance it out like that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, the DMs know what they're doing and they know how to let players roll, roll and run with these things. Um, I am, you did mention those big sessions again. What does it look like? What goes into prepping for a big multi table session? So I give them a map. I give the DMs a map. Sometimes I give the players a map. And uh, then it's a list of objectives. The most diverse one was the... uh, I know that at one point... Actually, I'll start with one that I played, which was a pirate's one where we were given eight pirate captains that we were supposed to assassinate. We were given three extra targets, poisoning the wine uh, or the ale supply... Uh, blowing up the gunpowder supply or something about sinking a ship. I don't remember which it was. Um, but those were generally our, you know, go-to, you know, there were three little side objectives. And otherwise, find the bad guys, kill them. Um, for writing for writing one, I tend to find a city and a layout and give their locations, like little locations across the map. Uh, it's going to be a bit harder this time because I'm doing it in the nine rings of hell but uh i should find a way basically they're given a map locations and things that are on there and then side objectives that they might want to complete uh the most complex was the festival where i had roughly 12 festival games that you could play with individual prizes um there were let's see there were 12 festival games that you could play there were five different missions about taking down the mafia and there were five different uh missions about running a running a or going and sneaking in or infiltrating a mansion run by the fae okay and it was it was it was an ordeal to make so you kind of have that high level idea of like here's kind of the main points um, then do you hand that over to the DM to kind of fill in the details of like, well, I have this pirate, you know, these three pirate captains are kind of mine. So I'm going to go in and fill out more details about what they're like and stuff like that. Or do you flesh some of that out before handing that over? I flesh that out and I don't, I don't give like too much, you know, detail. Like I don't want to give, uh, an incredible amount of, you know, because again, I have like eight of these pirate captains. I'll be like, is mean, swears a lot, has a drinking problem, you know. Try try to give them a general idea, but DMs can roll with whatever interpretation they can best do. Um, that is definitely fleshed out in the creation process. I'm trying to get more people to create with me, but those are tend to be those tend to be fleshed out during the creation process. Uh, what's the other word I'm trying to say? During uh, other uh, DMs, DMs basically allow this as a what would you like to do to the players. They will turn to the players and they will say, you know, here are eight captains and three, you know, three smaller side objectives. What would you like to do? Uh, there's a fame mansion. There is, uh, we'd like you to take down the mafia if you can. And there is a festival going on. Would you like to play the games at the festival? Look at the missions for the ma- against the mafia, or look at the missions for the uh, other thing. Um, and so, when you're kind of showing that off to your players, um, is that kind of like do all of the tables come together so that they can all see like, okay, I, I know there's like these ten things that we can do, and then they kind of like then do they like separate to be like, uh, us, this group wants to go take on the mafia, and this other group wants to go infiltrate the fae. Um, is that kind of how that works, or do they do each table kind of come together first, or not first, I tend but like to, individually? I tend to give a table announcement, and then uh, the DMs will take over. We have a system to notify other DMs if that mission is currently taken. So if you're infiltrating into there to steal an object, hello dog, um, if you're infiltrating in there to steal an object, then you know you can't take that mission because another table's already taken taken it so there is some you know hey you can see these people or uh, i think there was an entire situation where 
one uh, one table was specifically running interference in the Fey Mansion, and the other one was sneaking in. So they actually got advantage and, you know, pulled some guards away because of the problems that they were causing inside. Um, but otherwise, it is... Tables can choose where to go. Um, the DMs will read them out the choices, and then as tables choose to go to locations, um, they then decide more sure. so on that. So you kind of like... This, you know, table A is doing, you know, this mission and this mission. So we're going to cross those off for everybody else. And then this other table B is doing a couple other things. And once those are done, then they'll mark those off. And then when they're going around, then, oh, these ones have been completed by other groups. Here's what you have left that we can look at. Yeah. Uh, No one's going to kill a captain twice. And no one's, uh, I would not recommend killing a captain at the same time. You know, right. I assume that you have some sort of a method to just keep those separated, so you're not stepping on each other's toes. So that makes sense to just, mm-hmm. as they happen, you just mark them as completed or or in progress, and and then they're kind of locked off from the other players. Yep. Uh, it is it is very fun to do world events. It is very uh uh adrenaline pumping, at least for me, because I had to keep track of a lot of tables and make sure. Nothing was colliding, but it worked out very well. Uh, it's the, I mean, despite all of the coordination and stuff, I mean, the, the basic premise is pretty simple and uh, how you're kind yep. of managing everything, which I think sounds like it's helping um, just to, because that is when you get that many people in a room or a couple of rooms, however you're handling that and all doing the same thing. And then you, you've got to kind of be managing like, hey, this is done. This is done. Um it sounds like a lot of work just to kind of keep it managed, but I think the way you're keeping it simple sounds like it's running really well. And it, it sounds like a ton of fun. Um, I haven't even played in, you know, with more than like four people. So it would be really cool to get to sit in a room and play while there's like 12 or 15 other people that are also playing and then also have missions and stuff that are impacting other groups. I think that would just be a fantastic experience. My favorite section is whenever they passed an extremely poorly written note to each other across the way that i don't remember what it said but it was very dumb and it was very silly but (laughs) they did and i had to carry the note and the quote-unquote item from table to table uh which was very fun i will be honest you maybe get a little bit of the like telephone game too right where they they write something that's not clear and then the other group is trying to figure out what they meant and takes it in the wrong direction or something yeah, uh, the biggest thing—the biggest thing I found now, obviously, uh, procrastination will live on in every single person forever. So, you know, I would try to divide up the work, but everyone would end up procrastinating till the day before. And what I found to be the biggest issue is DMs needing to read the—you know—it wasn't actually the writing that got them. It wasn't the, you know, difficulty of a layout of a room. It was the fact that they needed to read all of the details before going in. Um, so getting it done early is probably the best thing I can recommend. If you're if you're going to try and pull this off, get it done <laughs> early and get all of the DMs on the same page. Yeah, give them some time. DMing is a, a challenge in itself. So, yeah, having yeah. as much time in advance for something like that would be good. You know, uh, there, I, I don't remember what it was. I was like, how are they having such an easy time over there? I go over and I talk to the DM. He hadn't read the line where it was something like, this person charms whoever they speak with or something like that. Um, <laughs> like, uh, they they hadn't read, and since they hadn't read that line, uh, they were having a much different time than the intended, intended play. Sure. So. Yeah, and as a DM, it can be easy to either miss something or, depending on how detailed it is, or you, you maybe you read it, but you forget about it because you're also trying to run a game, right? And Yeah. Cool. Well, that all sounds really cool, and I'm a little jealous that I may not get to have that same experience because I just don't have that many players uh, or coordination at the moment. But uh, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I, I don't know if you're if you're at NDSU, uh, North Dakota State University, join the D and D club. Woo! I gotta push, gotta push that all the time. <laughs> uh, we're the what, gaming guild. Hmm? Uh, what what city is NDSU in? Uh, Fargo. Fargo. Okay. 
Uh, we are in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, the Gaming Guild, we meet on Tuesdays and play board games of the varieties. And uh, we meet on Saturdays from 5 to 10 to play, uh, to play D&D. And if you want to DM, show up early. <laughs> I, I doubt anyone listening to this will take this call to action. But if you do, uh, hey, we're here. Um, and you can go ahead and plug yourself as well now if you would like. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can find me... Uh, hi, I'm Databank. You can find me uh, around the internet, uh, but mostly I'm on GM Binder as Databank. Uh, I'll try to... I'm going to be trying to set up an itch, itch, Itch.io page here soon. Uh, uh, also under the name Databank, if I can get away with it. Uh, check out my DM Binder for either new uh homebrew sort of you know i'm trying i try to make good homebrew stuff that isn't you know off the wall bonkers but uh check it out for homebrew uh homebrew stuff i just released all of the new illusion spells that i came up with um for my character skeeves and invisible notes um and then i should be at tiktok uh at of the roses i believe but i'm not entirely sure on that one but if you see me um, say hi, say that you recognize me from GM Binder. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, I will get links from you for both of those, and I will add those in the show notes for the listeners. Okay. Uh, and Databank, it was a ton of fun having you on. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. This was, I, you know, I wanted to give out my very limited but very unique expertise into the world there. So if you're ever thinking on running a 15-player session, uh, make sure you have multiple DMs. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server. 